You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. Very new setup we have today. It feels a little weird. Usually we're creatures of habit. Come in, do the show basically around the same time every day. Everybody has their own place. And now Doug Branson is actually inside the studio with me rather than behind the glass as he takes. He's taking this, as you're going to see on Twitter later, taking this picture as I salute the photo. That's just what I decided to do. I salute the selfie that Doug takes as we're recording at this moment. He's inside the studio with us. Is this weird for you? What's the last time? When's the last time you were in that chair? It would be probably when David and I signed off. This is I'm yeah. This is a, a return to form. It's not weird. I mean I you know, it's I weird built, for me. Listen, I built this studio. <laughs> I built this. I will take it away. If it's weird for me, this is not. I'm used to Nada being there now. Nada's not doing the show today, but I'm used to you being behind the glass. This is just weird for me. It's a weird setup. I just decided to get a little bit more intimate. Uh, get back into get back to my roots. I mean, look, the Hornets are making changes right now to the lineup, and I felt like maybe we could shake some things up a little bit, and and you know maybe uh, get some good results. Well, it's Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got the same team, but a different rotation, I guess. Today, it's your team every day. We're the local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson L O H, myself at Walker Mail, and Nada at Nada the Scribe. So this weekend, the Hornets go one and one. Friday, they get a big win against the Brooklyn Nets a much needed win I don't think it would be I don't think it would be crazy to say that that was a must win that was in that territory surrounding the Charlotte Hornets and now the Nets are kind of free falling they go 32 and 32 uh, up until this point and that was actually a team that had a pretty good hold on the sixth seed but they lose to the Hornets they lose to the Heat it was not a good week imagine if the Hornets game went Charlotte's way in their first game just last week on the last Saturday that we had and we had the foul no foul discussion if that would have gone against Brooklyn they'd be mighty free falling right now Hornets they do get the victory 123 to 112 and I'll combine both games by the bridge of Frank Kaminsky Doug Frank Kaminsky enters that game against Brooklyn a very good one that was the breaking point between the franchise and Frank Kaminsky this was the time this was the deadline where if the Charlotte Hornets decided to let Frank go if they decided to buy him out that Frank did have an opportunity to go play in the postseason with another team But it didn't seem like that was going to happen. Frank had left the game prior that they played before the Brooklyn Nets game. We didn't even know if he was going to take that trip with the Hornets to Brooklyn. Rick Bennell reports that he does. Not only does he take the trip, he actually plays. And Frank puts up some numbers for you. 7 of 12 from the field, 15 points, 7 rebounds. So actually rebounds better than he really has ever had in his career. And then you look at his game against the Portland Trailblazers. Yes, it was a 10-point loss. But Frank puts up 18 points, goes 5 of 10 from the field, hits a couple threes, and gives you another seven boards. Doug, what in the hell has gotten into Frank? They're actually playing him, and he's actually delivering. And listen, shouts to Frank, because he basically said, you know, play me or let me go, which we discussed a few shows ago was a pretty bold maneuver for a guy who, even when he did play... Do you feel you're in charge here? Yeah, he was struggling to put up numbers, and and so he makes this basically bold maneuver, and it works out for him. And then he comes in, and you know it's like put up or shut up. And he went in there and put up, and and gave them an offensive boost, freshest legs in the NBA. I mean, the guy. <laughs> listen, he you was, were so pleased with that when you put that out. It, and I'm not going to dispute stroke it. Stroke of brilliance. <laughs> 
Yeah, fresh legs, man. I mean, it, it probably actually does legitimately matter at this point in the season when you can have a guy that has clearly stayed in shape, stayed ready. Borrego gave him props for that. And and he's able to get in there and just be a little quicker than some of these guys who have been, you know, playing, you know, three games in five nights. And Jeremy Lamb made the comments. It was after that game that he had. They had against um, not the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it was it was the comments. I forget what he said that he was happy about Frank. It might have been after he got some rotation. Um, but he was discussing just with Frank Kaminsky at he was really happy to see that Frank was actually going to get some playing time that he actually delivered. This has been a guy that has been not playing at all this entire season. And not only, I think the reporter phrased the question as, you know, there's been a long stretch here recently, or he phrased it as to where it didn't entail the entire season. Jeremy was like, man, he really hadn't gotten no run at all this year. And so I'm really happy to see that Frank Kaminsky was able to stay with it, go out and contribute at a high level, which is certainly true from what Frank gave you. And he also mentioned, some of the work ethic that he puts out that nobody can see and I know a lot of people like to question Frank Kaminsky's work ethic a lot of people that of course they didn't see him posting the videos on Twitter and his workout videos and so remember Frank at the beginning he joked on media day one of the comments that I thought was funny that I don't think was off base like some of his Clifford comments he said I learned that if you don't post your workout videos that you didn't actually work out I thought that was pretty funny (laughs) and I think that there's some truth to that look I think that there have been there's too much criticism on Frank Kaminsky when we go that far when you start to question the work ethic I think to a certain extent when I, I've seen some people get angry about him cheering on the sideline like look there, there are some things that if Frank has said I certainly got angry with the whole barstool incident when they put out that Twitter poll making fun of the WNBA especially with him being so mentally fragile self-admitted on his part and I, I think there have been some problems that I've had with Frank even off of the court but when we get into the point where we're starting to question this guy as far as his love of the game as far as how much he works off like how in the world do we know unless you have a source that's deep within you know I, I don't think we've seen anybody of legitimate credibility question that side of Frank's work ethic and and that thing and I, I just think that got too far but it's obvious it's obviously weight on Frank Frank had to prove people wrong and sure enough the last two games he has looked very good offensively and to be fair to Frank who, who said basically play me or you know release me, find me another team that I can go and contribute for. He's He had to sit there and watch a Hornets bench that had become absolutely anemic on offense and damn near dead when Tony Parker didn't play. And if you're sitting there and you're Frank Kaminsky, you go, look, okay, criticize me for, for what you want to criticize me for, but when I'm in the zone, I can contribute offensively. Like that's my one thing. So let me get in there, coach, and and try to change some things up. And you know, Borrego got to that point where he said something has to change. And there, Frank Kaminsky sat as the change, and and it did work out against Brooklyn. It didn't work out so great against uh, uh, Portland, but he still contributed well, in that game. Well, and wasn't from him. You know, it was you know, well, eight, eighteen points. Well, defensively against Brooklyn, there were some times he was bad. I mean, you, you look, he gave up a lot of points. That that part has not gone away here. Like, we can get excited about the offensive production, but Frank Kaminsky giving up a lot of points as well. You could see against Brooklyn, there were teams that there was a lot of times where Atkinson clearly designed plays for them to attack Frank Kaminsky defensively, and he gave up. Now, he gave up some points. Now, you see what Frank did offensively. I think you take that. You take that Frank game, and it doesn't it doesn't negate the, pro- the production that he gave you the last couple of games. The last couple of contests, he's been good, and, and that's your assessment. He's been good. 
Defensively, there were still some lapses. That's just the kind of thing that it is here. And Doug, when we look at the second unit, we've mentioned this before. This is a team with a second unit comprised of players that sacrifice in a big way on one end of the floor. So we can go to Frank Kaminsky. Offensively, he's able to give you some good stretches offensively. He has had his moments in his career. Defensively, he has not had his moments on the positive side. Just going down the bench, Bismack Biombo. He's a one-sided player. It's not somebody that you expect a whole lot from offensively. Tony Parker. I don't know if you've looked at some of his defensive numbers, just what the Hornets rank when he's in the game. It's god-awful. And Tony Parker, you can make a case, is the second most important player for this Hornets team. Defensively, Tony Parker has been god-awful in the way that he affects his team on that end of the floor. Jeremy Lamb has been a guy that's been relegated to the bench, but he doesn't really count. I mean, this is somebody that has been starting for most of the year. Malik Monk, you know he negates a lot on the defensive side. MKG doesn't give you a whole lot on the offensive side. We ran through the entire bench. And besides Jeremy Lamb, who was a starter for most of the season, you could go to Miles Bridges if you want, and that's somebody that certainly looks like a good prospect that can contribute on both ends of the floor. But this is a team that once you go to the second unit, they don't give you a whole lot on at least one end of the floor. It's only one end of the floor that they do have production. A lot of problems with the defensive box plus minus stat. Uh, you know, just want to say that up sure. front. But Tony Parker sits on the season at, <laughs> at minus 3.9. Malik Monk at minus 3.1. There might be some a little problem with the stat, but not that much problem. Sure. I mean, that, it is clear. I'm telling you. I, and look, and I don't think anybody's talked about it, and nor should we because we don't want to get the attention away from what he's produced. Tony Parker has been excellent. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you that Tony Parker has been the second most important player behind Kimba Walker as far as getting real wins, directly affecting the outcome. But defense has been bad, and you've seen it out there. But you just said one side of the floor or the other. So if... You know, if Michael Kidd Gilchrist could could help you enough offensively to match his what he obviously does defensively for you, then he'd still be on the bench. You know, he'd still be in this rotation. He's the one that got kicked out because Frank commit because they absolutely needed offense. Damn the torpedoes, damn the defense. We've got to score some points when Kimball Walker's not on the floor, or otherwise we're gonna to lose to Houston, who, you know, James Harden's starting 0 for nine. We're going to lose at the end of the game, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, because our bench can't score. And you look to Billy, even Billy Hernan Gomez, completely he's, he's the matador on defense, as Nada likes to say. And I, I don't know if that's the same thing as a lot of the other benches in the NBA. You know, just looking up Portland's, because you can just pull that up real quickly. You know, I, I don't follow them enough to know how bad it is on one side of the floor or the other for some of these guys. But it just seems like, for one side of the floor for the Hornets every single one of their reserves comes in they provide something well on one side but it's the other side that makes them unplayable at times and that's why you've seen MKG kind of get relegated to the bench and, and not play at all DNP CDs and Malik Monk you're hoping that he can showcase you something enough but he's been relegated just completely out of the rotation we'll take a quick timeout we'll come back with more here it's Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network you are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We don't want that Pacers talk. You got to respect the satchel. We don't want that Cavs talk. <laughs> what you got, Doug? I have the entirety. I turned this satchel a little loud today. <laughs> Be quiet, satchel. No, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Please listen carefully. Thank you. 
So I went and saw a movie this weekend. It was like a little independent movie, Cold War. If you've heard anything about it, it, it was a had a Best Director nomination. Uh, but during this independent movie, I saw a preview for the new Godzilla film. Like why they would show big blockbuster action preview for the Godzilla film. But it, one of the shots is Godzilla just, of course, rising out of the sea, ready to fight all the other Godzilla monsters that are attacking Earth. And I was like, oh, it's Frank Kaminsky. That's exactly what Frank did. He Ferocious. Just, where has he been? He just comes out of the ocean. You made that. <laughs> that, was, that was quite the sound. Frank Kaminsky also put up a video on Twitter of The Undertaker rising up from his coffin. Great. And it's a great. Fantastic it's, reference. It, it's a great reference to put out there on Twitter. And we were talking about it before we headed into the studio today. That any kind of fun that you can get from this team, it's a team full of really dull personalities as far as getting anything entertaining mm-hmm. on Twitter. You know, nobody nobody contributes anything to social media or enough to where we're talking about, hey, did you see how funny one of these Hornets players were? You know, Cody Zeller's got dry humor. It's not a, it's not a whole lot that he puts out there. Very dry. It, it is. And Frank Kaminsky, anytime we have... Who would this fit the most as far as character-wise? Like, who would be the most fun? If there's a fun character that we try to attribute to a certain Hornets player, Frank Kaminsky is always the answer, and he delivers again. And it was it was accurate, too. It was an accurate picture that he posted up of himself as the Undertaker, rising from the coffin, actually giving you meaningful listens. Are you in a, uh, excuse me, meaningful references? I should say, you should listen in your car. Tried to segue to a read, and it didn't work out as flawlessly as I quite hoped it was. We're going to try that again. Are you in your car a lot? Driving to work? (laughs) Driving the kids around? If you have a smart device in your car, and more more of you do now for sure, tell your smart device to play Locked on Hornets. Don't fumble around with your phone and Bluetooth. Just say, play Locked on Hornets and make drive time. LOH time. That's very good. Yeah, I, tr- I tried. I tried to set it up there a little bit better for you. So let's set up this segue a little bit better. I'm just going to go right into it. You look at that Portland Trailblazers game. Again, we are in the territory of every game is huge. You know, every game is a must win. Every loss is a big loss. Every victory is a big victory. You got two of those this weekend. Huge win against the Brooklyn Nets. Needed that one. Would have been nice. Had they beat the Portland Trailblazers. Winnable game. And they lose that one. Again, in the fourth quarter against a good team. You see what they do against some of the stars. And this has been a theme, Doug. So we go back to Golden State. I referenced this the last time we did a podcast. I referenced it last week. They go against Golden State. It's 36 points combined for Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. You think they have a good shot? They do. Eventually, they fail. You go up against the Houston Rockets. James Harden, very inefficient. It's not like Chris Paul destroyed you with his total point outcome. I think only 17 did give you 10 assists, but not like they killed you and you still lose. You go up against Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. 29 points combined for their very good backcourt. Now, C.J. McCollum hasn't had a great year this season, but still, you hold both of those guys to 29 points. You feel good, especially at the Spectrum Center. But just like Clint Capella did for the Houston Rockets, big man that just got nasty down low, here's Nurkic destroying them down low, 26 points, 15 rebounds. I think Capella got something like 24 points and 17 rebounds along those lines. Very similar in the way that they lost this game against the Portland Trailblazers. They're unable to get a victory when you do hold the stars to not star-like numbers. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, it's clear this defense has shifted away from what Clifford had established year after year of 
sort of team defense to take away the interior, to take away easy points. And they just, they simply don't have the bodies to defensive rebound uh, like like other teams can with one or two players. I mean, it's got to be a whole team effort to defensive rebound and, and stop another team from getting second chance points. And uh, but but you do deny three point shots from guys like Lillard. You you hold him to four of ten. You hold uh, McCollum to only two makes. And so you execute your plan, but then the plan did not account for Rodney Hood, twenty one <laughs> points in the fourth quarter. That that was not part of the plan. I mean, that's talk about wrestling references. That's like hearing Rodney Hood's music. Like, oh my God, it's Rodney Hood, <laughs> and he's got a steel chair. It reminds me of Jeff Goldblum. It, nature, it it finds a way. It, abhor, it abhors a vacuum. There was a vacuum in that game, and Rodney Hood took advantage of it. it. Teams find a way. Even if your stars don't perform against the Charlotte Hornets, you're going to get a Rodney Hood to perform against the Hornets. You're going to get a different role player, a P.J. Tucker, to hit all five of his threes that he takes. You're going to find something at nature, nature against the Hornets. It finds a way. Now, what happens when the Stars don't go off against you, a Rodney Hood helps you win, but also a Kimball Walker performance like the one he put up against Portland helped the opposing team win. He only goes 5 of 21, was not good in the first half, only hits a couple of three-pointers, took nine of them, and you see he only finished up with 18 points. Now you look at Borrego, he did claim after the game that the Hornets can win games with Kemba's production level where it was versus the Blazers. Not good. The Hornets are 4-7 and seven in games where Kemba Walker makes five or less field goals. They're 1-5 when he shoots 25% or lower. The Hornets are 4-11 and 11 when he scores less than 20 points. And the Hornets are 3-19 and 19 when he shoots less than 30% from three. So Borrego didn't say the winning percentage... He didn't tell you that they don't. They, he didn't tell you that they don't get a lot. He just said that they have one with Kimba's production being that low. Problem is, Doug, they don't win a whole lot, and it just goes to show you you don't need any stats to tell you this. This Hornets team they completely rely in the worst way on Kimba Walker. Well, they rely on Kimba, and Kimba knows it, and Kimba does not take a night off. So, whether you get good Kimba or bad Kimba, you're going to get a Kimba that has a high usage percentage. So when he's having an off night or when maybe he's a little bit fatigued, we've seen his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage go down from somewhere in the low 40s to the you know 35% or above, and that's a significant drop. And and it obviously, I mean, you, you heard the stat there, 3-19 and 19 when he shoots less than 30% from beyond the arc. Not good. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We'll come back. Interesting comments from Adam Silver on anxiety in the NBA. Topic fascinates uh, fascinates me. We'll talk about it in segment three next. It's LOH on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. How strong is an ox? Are we, I think we're overrating the ox. Uh, we are I, not overrating the I ox. Need to see, I need mm. to see some medicals on the ox. Yeah, why don't you do the research on that? You put your lab glasses on. You take a look at it. I wonder if there's mind. anything on the internet. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Sports analytics conference currently going on in Boston. Mm, yes. And <laughs> and Adam Silver 
was speaking at the conference, and he had an interesting comment on just player anxiety in the NBA, a topic that I think has gotten a lot more attention the last couple of years. A couple of players have come out and said that they suffer from anxiety, and I think this has been not only a topic just in the NBA, but certainly just in life in general. You've seen it pop up quite a bit more. And so when you look at what Adam Silver said about it, he said, quote, we are living in a time of anxiety. I think it's a direct result of social media. A lot of players are unhappy. And he even said, you know, I'm an anxious person, said a little bit jokingly. That's why the players like talking to me. And so that's fascinating. I'm kind of a big deal. Adam Silver. And while that is, (laughs) you're right. I don't know if he, he didn't mean it that way, but you are right. Like this is a guy that is the head honcho of the NBA. You know, it we we often talk about commissioners, they do work for owners that are a part of that entire organization, sure, but Adam Silver, he is the commissioner of the association. We all know that he has a better relationship with his players than another commissioner we like to compare than Roger Goodell in the NFL. Roger Goodell, even the NFL owners have come to Adam Silver even from the get-go, not just the past couple of years. From the get-go, they have contacted Adam Silver about possibly running the National Football League. And so Adam Silver having these types of relationships with his players, we've always talked about the relationships, the open door policy. It's been there for Adam Silver. And I find that fascinating that players are actually going directly to Adam Silver to have these conversations about how anxious they are. And he mentioned social media, but just how all the factors affect some of these guys that are suffering from these problems. Absolutely. And you like having a a commissioner plugged into the players because I I think there's someone out there listening right now, Walker, that's thinking like, why do I care if some millionaires are are sad? And it always bothers me, but sure. So why, why should I care? Well, the reason you care is because really what Adam Silver is talking about here is that these players are not forming relationships with each other and you're seeing it manifest itself in locker rooms around the NBA. Just look at what's going on with Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics right now. Like there's just that team cannot find a groove in the locker room and it's affecting the product on the court. And and players are moving to and fro and I just think it's it's having ripple effects and it's nice to see a, a guy in Adam Silver who can sort of understand the bigger picture that the that the personal becomes the professional and then it and the professional becomes the product and ultimately Adam Silver works for the owners, but he also is in charge of the players. But ultimately, he's responsible for the product. He references Michael Jordan and the kind of player that he was, but also how close that team was as a whole. And he also references the Lakers and he references teams that people at least discussing, well, why do I care what all of the other players are when we have a guy like a LeBron James or a guy like a Michael Jordan? And Adam Silver references how close those teams were, how close the Chicago Bulls were that, yes, Michael would maybe throw a basketball at your head if you ran the play wrong for the third straight time, or he might get in a fight with Steve Kerr. We, we, we always know about Steve Kerr getting tired of it and throwing a punch in Michael Jordan's direction, but that these teams were very close, that they got along, that this was a team. They, they, these were teams that had fun together, not just on the basketball court. But that that was a huge part in their success and the way that it affected their mental health throughout the course of a season. 
Should be worried about the players and the relationship that they have with the referees. Uh, they should. <laughs> and now, did you see Trey Young get thrown out of that game the other night? Well, that was ridiculous. We we did a question today on what was the more ridiculous technical foul issued. Was it Demarcus Cousins throwing a shoe off of the court, or was it Trey Young's stare down? On Chris Dunn. And well, both no, are it's, it, bogus. Well, kind of, but at least in the DeMarcus Cousins thing, you can say that he was a little bit a, a threat to the fan safety in the same way that Gerald <laughs> Henderson was when he fired that basketball at that old lady's head. Like, you don't want anything going towards the fans, but Trey Young was just, he was just standing there. He was looking at Chris Dunn too aggressively. DeMarcus Cousins threw the shoe too aggressively, and both were issued technical fouls for it. Getting back to the anxiety issue in the NBA. It's why I struggle with Pacers fans destroying Brandon Ingram at the foul line. And there's a lot of people that don't have issues with that. There's a lot of people that still want to have that kind of fun within all of the audience in the NBA. And this is where I'm not, again, I'm doing that thing where I don't take a side, but I'm just, I I am. I'm posing the question, where does the line get drawn? Well, well, and, and just real quickly, looking at what Brandon Ingram does, right? Like, this is a guy that, if I was Brandon Ingram, I could imagine that might F with me too. Mm-hmm. Having everybody say LeBron chanting, the fans chanting, LeBron wants to trade you. Clap, clap, clap. And so we have sympathy for a guy like DeMar DeRozan, and we have sympathy for a guy like Kevin Love because they come out and they admit it. And is it okay to go that hard against players to a point where it's personal unless they tell us they're suffering from anxiety? Do we put the onus on them, on the people suffering from anxiety, to tell us? Because that's tough. I, how, can you imagine how it feels? For somebody who is already anxious and vulnerable to come out and admit that they're vulnerable, leaving themselves that much more open to slander and more vulnerable. Like that's that's a really tough onus to put on somebody that is really suffering from these issues. And so where do we draw the line of being able to have fun, interacting with some of the fans throughout the course of a game? Well, where's that line drawn? Because I, I really don't know. I'm I'm it's not a rhetorical question. Well, you know my stance on fans trying to become too much a part of the game, being too close. Listen, it's an entertainment product, whether you're there or whether you're at home. You're there to watch a game. You are not there to be a a part of the game as much as you fantasize about it, as much as you dream about stepping onto the court with these titans of sports. Don't let your kid punch Russell Westbrook. Don't do it. Don't let him touch him. <laughs> Just tell him to sit down. Have a hot dog. No, you're not part of the game. So, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I think, just back to Adam Silver for a second, I think he recognizes that he's opened his sport up to become part of the larger cultural conversation that we're having around a lot of different things, race, gender, uh, politics in general. And, and we are living in anxious, cultural, political, societal times. And I think he's sort of trying nobly, I think, but also with a, a monetary uh, sort of thing floating in the air that he's trying to head off at the pass some really bad mental issue that a player could have that could cause headlines that would, again, he's there to protect the product. I think it all sort of works together. Adam, Sel- Adam Silver also referenced a player. He you almost called him, him Adam Silver. You were, uh, Sel- I was going Silver. <laughs> I was going to put a V on it. But Adam Silver also referenced a player, and he wouldn't give us his name, but he referenced a guy that was a star in the NBA currently, and this guy called him up, and he said, look, you know, Adam, I'm going to go through a point where it was one game, I think there was a two-day spread or some, a two-day period length of time or whatever, where he will have gone through that much of a time where sitting on the plane, getting to his location, staying in his hotel room, where he will not have talked to a teammate for a day and a half or two. And that's kind of crazy, right? And, and just us being social beings 
anyway. You know, you constantly hear the loneliness leading to a high level of anxiety. And these guys are out. They're showing up. They're they're entertain me, amuse me, dunk the basketball, and they go home and they chill in their hotel room. Look, it was Kevin is, Durant. There is a point. Yes, it was Kevin Durant. We're all here to exclusively report that. There is a point where Too you busy have tweeting the fans. Basketball players Burner accounts. make a lot of money, and they get to do something that they love and work their whole life for, and they're extremely lucky in that regard. It does not make them inhuman. It does not make them robots. I, mean, I think there is a certain level of empathy that we can feel for them, and I just wonder where that no. line is drawn. <laughs> Don't. They make a million dollars a year. <laughs> that's, that's where I draw they the line. They do not deserve All right. our empathy. All right. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.